Let's pray. Lord, thinking of your perfection, what you've done, not, not just in our lives, but as an act of taking upon the, the, the sins of people and dying, suffering, suffering under the wrath of God so that we who call on your name don't have to. Thinking of your love and your grace and your mercy should create in us awe, but we live in a fallen world where we misapply and misunderstand and mistreat those truths. So God, grant us humility today as we read your word, as we spend time in, in worship through what you have said. Give us the humility to have our, our, our own presuppositions and our own arguments abandoned and sit in reverence of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We're in the last little bit of Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. Um, you know, for centuries, Christians have struggled on how to think about family and faith. And that seems kind of oxymoronic. Well, you know, if you read Deuteronomy 6, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be uh, putting God's promises on our land, on our, on our, uh, my gosh, I'm thinking lentils. But we're supposed to put them on, the, on our doorposts. We're supposed to train up a child in the way he should go. Proverbs. We're supposed to do all these things. But Jesus often challenged uh, some, some, some things that were culturally uh, surrounding the concept of family in the, in the Near East. But, so, so you come to New Testament time, New Covenant time, and certain questions get, get, get raised. For instance, how, how do we have loyalty to Christ and take care of our family? Which one, which one is more important, following God or taking care of my family? Or, or even are we supposed to have families at all? Uh, there's, there's some traditions that have romanticized a, a monastic celibate lifestyle where a person separates themselves from the world, ignoring temptations to follow the first command God ever gave mankind, which was, by the way, to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28. Uh, our verses today, if read in isolation from the context of the rest of Matthew chapter 12, are often used to support monasticism, to be a monk and to hide in the, in the, the, the fields, to hide up in the mountains. And, uh, so let's, let's go ahead and read what Jesus says about his family and to those around him. Uh, my purpose today is to understand the context determine, and determine for ourselves how to apply this text to our own lives as Christians. Uh, it's going to be a rough one, and it's one that I've, I've struggled with. Before I read, I want to add a note. Uh, if you are reading from the King James Version, there is a verse that I am not going to read. And uh, oftentimes people say that, I, or that, that these verses were removed, but if you would like the honest truth, verse 47 didn't exist until about 500 A.D., uh, that's the oldest extant manuscript that we have that has verse 47. So we can have that conversation another time. I want to blow right past it. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a, it, anyway, I'm going to blow past it. So let's read what the Bible says and dig into it today. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, 
Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. When reading these verses, uh, Matthew doesn't actually do us any favors uh, explaining why Jesus said what he said. Um, why, why would he be so cold to his, to his mother? I mean, all of you have had mothers, right? I mean, you're supposed to be kind to your mothers. Uh, so why is Jesus being so cold to his own mom, to his brothers who've come to speak with him? Um, I, mean, I mean, that's a good question to ask. If you have a reference Bible, chances are you have both Mark 3.31 and Luke 8.19 listed in the, the bottom bit uh, as the same situation, as a footnote. But if you were to pick up and read those verses, you'd read actually the exact same experience with the addition of some guy telling, coming and telling Jesus, uh, which is what verse 47 is. Um, so why? Why was Jesus so cold to his family? If you were to turn actually to Mark chapter 3 and not start in verse 31, but to go 10 verses back to Mark 3, 21, you actually would read that there is a bit more context. Uh, again, Matthew didn't do us the favor of including this context, but uh, we'd read that Jesus had grown very popular. Crowds were coming to him. We already knew that. His teachings and miraculous healings had stirred the pot, started shaking up the status quo of Judaism. We already knew that. Uh, and when crowds were gathering around him, instead of celebrating his success or celebrating how much truth Jesus had spoken, we read that his family hears about it. This is Mark 3.21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. That's how Jesus' earthly family thought of what Jesus was doing. They thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They, they, they looked at his standing against the tide of self-righteous, the self-righteous religious elite that called themselves the Pharisees and even the Sadducees. And, and, uh, and they, they looked at his devotion to doing what his heavenly father had, had called him to, which Mary was quite privy to. They looked at this and they thought he was nuts. To add even more clarity of what, what Jesus' own family, so that, that, that was his family in general, probably Mary included. Uh, to add more clarity, we could turn to John chapter 7 and verses 1 through 5, which, which features uh, Jesus' brothers telling Jesus how he should do ministry. Uh, they, they, they say that Jesus should go up to this Jewish festival, which is the festival of the booths, and basically put on a carnival show. Don't hide your miracles. Hey, if these are real, man, you should go do them in the open. You should let people see it. 
They demand that he go do, do his works, his miraculous works, instead of actually celebrating the Festival of Booths, which the Festival of Booths or Festival of Tabernacles was supposed to be a feast that commemorated God's providential care for Israel during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So instead of going out and doing what the festival is supposed to do, Jesus, you should go out there and do your works. Steal the show, you miracle worker. You're crazy, but you're a miracle worker. And, uh, and in John 7, 4, we read this almost insulting statement as their reason, their grounding for, for telling Jesus how to do his ministry. They say, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then John actually provides a little bit of clarity in John 7, 5 of why his brothers were saying this to him. John 7, 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So how did, how did Jesus's family think of Jesus? Did they think well of him? No, they thought he was nuts. They thought they knew how to do it better. They thought that, that, that Jesus's mission should be stopped. And that brings us back to our situation in Matthew chapter 12. It, uh, this is probably the reason that Jesus spoke so coldly to his family and didn't even acknowledge their presence, to them at least. They were not coming to celebrate him, to give him a high five. And we're told to do a holy kiss in, uh, in, by Paul, but we just do the holy high five, right? Uh, so they weren't coming to congratulate him or celebrate with him or say, you're doing a great job, Jesus. I am so glad that you know the truth. Instead, they were coming to oppose him. Think back on all of Matthew 12. How many times has Jesus been opposed in this one chapter alone? It's almost always from the outside. It's almost always from, from the Pharisees and the scribes. They're trying to incite crowds against him. They're trying to, trying to make him do things that look horrible. And Jesus always perfectly responds, knowing exactly what to say. The Pharisees, in Matthew chapter 12, 14, we find out are even conspiring to kill him in secret. And here comes Jesus' own family coming to tell him you're doing it wrong and you need to stop. So instead of thinking that Jesus is responding coldly, maybe we should understand that Jesus is saying just the right thing. He's trying to, trying to provide some focus. So while Mary would have maybe come, and I don't know what Mary would have said. I have no idea what his mom would have said to him. But knowing mothers, I imagine it would have sounded something like, I changed your diapers. I know you. I, I used to put a pacifier in your mouth. And you're doing something dangerous. Look at all these people. Do you know what a stir you're creating? Tone it down. It's like what your mom, well, what my mom always said, turn down that music. <laughs> and she's probably watching and she'll probably just be nodding. Yeah, I did say that. Your music was terrible. Uh, <laughs> but I, and, and while I don't know what Jesus' brothers would have said to him, knowing what family is like, they probably said, listen, we always knew you were weird. Um, but, but we're getting a lot of flack for what you're doing, being related to us. So if you could just like stop it. But Jesus could not obey his, 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 his family's advice. He could not be stopped. He could not be impeded or opposed by them. 
So instead of going in front of him and trying to defend himself, mom, mom, don't you remember? Don't you remember when that angel came and told you that I was coming? This is for real, mom. You ever revert to your 14-year-old self when you're in front of your parents? Jesus could not be deterred. He couldn't defend himself to his own mother. He, 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 couldn't even, he couldn't even engage the conversation. And he probably didn't want to alienate his own family. Those that changed his diapers, they didn't use diapers then, but you know what I mean. Those who took care of him as an infant and played with him as they grew up, they did not know what he was doing. They were going to sin against Christ by telling him to stop. They sought to seize him. So often when we're doing the Lord's will, when we're doing what God has called us to do, we're going to face opposition from family. Family loves us, and they decide, they're, they're often here to tell us when we're doing something stupid. But family's not always right. To you teenage guys in the room, your parents are not always right. And I'm going to expect tomatoes thrown at me later for that one. Family is going to try and stand in our way. They're going to make us feel guilty. They're going to make us feel bad for, for doing what we know is right. When, we, when we're convinced by God's word that this is what we're supposed to do, family's going to tell us to cool it. They're going to tell us that they think we're making a mistake. We, like our Lord, have to stand firm, convinced in our, in our convictions, rooted in the clear teaching of Scripture. When, whenever, whenever Jesus says, especially in Matthew, those doing the Lord's will, he means those listening to God, those actually sitting uh, under, under the teaching, the actual legitimate teaching of the Bible, the Old Testament at the time, those actually following the commandments, those people doing it, those are the people who are doing the Lord's will. So when we're doing the Lord's will, we're going to have family stand against us, but we have to be convinced we should not be deterred, even by family, if we're doing what Christ has called us to do. Now, looking back in, in our verses, verses 48 to 49 especially, notice here who Jesus is focused on, right? He's not focused on just defending himself to his mommy, which, frankly, that's exactly what happens. If my mom were to call me, which I hope she doesn't because I don't think my phone's on silent, but if my mom were to call me right now and she were to, she, she, she were to say, you know what, Scott, you need to cool it. You need to tone it down, you know, you're, you're being a little aggressive. If she were to say that to me, you know what I'd do? I'd defend myself. Mom! You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm called to. Jesus could not be slowed down by that. So his, his concern is for the people that are in front of him. In verse 46, we see that Jesus was still speaking to people when his mom and brothers try to barge their way into the conversation. And then in response to them searching for him, he announces to the crowd these questions. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Imagine being... Imagine being one of the people sitting in that room right there. And Jesus asked this question. You're like, uh, uh, the, the people out there? The answer pre seems pretty simple. And gosh, if you just take Jesus at his word here, it seems like he's just suddenly become an Alzheimer patient and forgot who his mom and brothers were. Who are my mother and my brothers? But no, that's not. Christ has not forgotten who his mother and brothers are, his earthly family. He's trying to make a point. He's saying that my mother and brothers are not the ones coming to oppose me, but my mother and brothers are those who are doing the Lord's will. They're, they're my disciples. 
That's why Jesus essentially points when it says that he motions towards them. He's saying, these, these people, here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus is saying that his true concern is not for just caring for his earthly family, but for, the, for his spiritual family. In effect, it's kind of sounding like Jesus is dismissing his earthly family, doesn't it? These are my family, not those, not them. But I just want to pause on that point and, and establish something kind of important to our text. We've already established that Jesus' family was most likely coming to oppose him. But did Jesus really mean to cut off his family? Was Jesus saying that it's okay to cut them out of his life, to push them away, to shove them away, to ignore them? Well, you kind of got to step into the, 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 the Near and Middle Eastern. There is such a thing as a Near East. There's a Near East, a, a Middle East, and a Far East. Anyway, so you kind of have to step into the Near and Middle Eastern cultural values at the time. Uh, in that time, the family unit, your blood relatives, were of the utmost importance. Everything else was of a minor importance compared to your family. Um, you, you actually, in that culture, you see some really heavy devotion, especially from sons. If a family, or if a father of a family died, for instance, his, old, his oldest son would be obligated to take in his mother and even his younger siblings in order to care for them until they were of marrying age or, or could go out and work. The mother would then live out her days under her oldest son's roof. And that still happens sometimes. Uh, that, that if, if, if a mom is un, uh, unable to care for herself after her husband dies, then the family brings, brings the mom in. And it creates some really great sitcoms. But that's another, that's, that's another cultural problem. But, but, then, uh, but, but then you have Jesus opposing these things almost. Things that we've actually covered previously in the Gospel of Matthew. Things like Matthew 10.37, where Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Or even worse, in Matthew 8, verses 21 to 22, where a disciple comes up to Jesus and he goes, Hey, my dad just died. Can I go bury him? Can I, can I go to the funeral? Can I, which at the time, a, a funeral at the time would have lasted longer than just like a few hours. It was a period of mourning. But he just says, hey, can I go do what I'm supposed to do as a son and go bury him? And Jesus replies to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So is Jesus saying, hey, family, hey, earthly family, you are meaningless. Because it's true that Christ is challenging here some, some, some of the familial cultural links in order to explain something. But what is he explaining? Is he saying that earthly family is of no good? That they're worthless? No. No, he's not. The clue, or at least a clue, is in Matthew 10.37 where Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. More than. That more than. That, that's a clarifying point. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to love mother and father. It's, it, he's saying that it's wrong to love mother and father more than God. 
It's easy to misunderstand Jesus in these statements, to think that what he's saying, again, is that earthly family is of no value. But Jesus is not saying have no allegiance to earthly family. He's he's saying instead, make sure that your allegiance is first to God. Now, why am I saying that, right? Okay, Scott, you've got one piece of evidence, right? One piece, and it's based on some flimsy grammatical argument. Well, no, actually, uh, remember when I said that, that the oldest son in a family was supposed to take in his mother if, if the father died? Well, what happened to Joseph? Jesus' earthly father, the, the man who raised him, his adopted father, the one, by the way, who he actually inherited the line of David from, is from his father, even though he didn't contribute biologically to his birth. So where is Joseph? You don't hear about him, and it's actually kind of easy to assume he's dead, that he had died somehow. And you you see this actually really clearly at Jesus' crucifixion, where Joseph, again, completely gone. It's not like he disowned uh, Jesus, we don't think, because, because in John 19, Jesus is being crucified. He's on the cross. And in verses 25 to 27, we read this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, so his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which, by the way, is John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, again John, took her into his own home. Jesus actually fulfilled the cultural requirement of the day of of taking care of his mother's needs, knowing that she needed to be provided for. He's still allied to his family. He still loves his own mom. He's still caring for her. Even though Jesus did not allow his mother and brothers to come into this gathering in Matthew 12, 46, to oppose him and impede his mission, he did not abandon his family. Jesus did not abandon his family. He he fulfilled his duty as the oldest son. Also, after Jesus' resurrection, you know who he appeared to? James. Specifically, we're told that, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Jesus appears to his brother, who ends up being the same James, as we suppose, who wrote the book of James. Our Lord cared about his own family. It's only when they were trying to stop him from doing what he was called to do that he rebuked them. Jesus knew his true priorities, what his mission was from his father, and he was not going to allow opposition from scribes, Pharisees, or family to stand in the way. Jesus knew his duties as as the oldest son. He knew his duties as, 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 as a brother to appear to his family. He never once condoned abandoning his family. And we too must remember our first priorities of following God, doing his will first, having our first allegiance to God. But you know what? It's also your responsibility to care for your families. We are are called to ensure their safety and care. We We are demanded and commanded by God to care for our children, 
to, to love our families. And, and I, I dare even to say it is a coward's job to abandon his family. To be given a, a children by the hand of God providentially, to, 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 to birth children and then to leave them for convenience's sake. Gosh, the people who grow up fatherless, especially sons who grow up fatherless, know it's an abomination to abandon a family. But it's even more so an abomination in the Lord's eyes. Our mission is to do the Lord's will. Um, just as it was God the Father's will to have Jesus born, born into the family that he was born into. Think about that. Jesus was born into this family. Did he abandon it? No. He cared for his own mother. He cared for his own family. He cared for his own brothers. And you too were born into a family by the providence of God. Your family is not a problem. Your family is worth caring about and cultivating and, and, and working into. But your care for them must not impede your following of Christ. If your family is encouraging you to sin, then your duty is to rebuke them as Christ did here in Matthew chapter 12. And perhaps you even have to separate yourself from them, praying that God's will is to be done as he sees fit with them. Sometimes family is so destructive, so, well, the word nowadays is toxic. But sometimes families are so toxic, so destructive, that you do have to get away. Maybe they're just toxic to you. Maybe they're good for everyone else, and you're, you're the one that, like, man, your presence is awful uh, for whatever reason, and you need to get away for a bit. That, that happens. That's fine. But, but you are to care for your family. You are to love your family. All right, I've, I've, I've harped on that enough. So, so, so speaking of Christ's family, his spiritual family, those that do the Lord's will, have you ever considered how blessed, it, uh, how blessed, how wonderful, how happy it should make you to be considered a brother or sister to Jesus? Now, I know in the text it says, here's my mother and my brothers, but, but don't, don't look too heavily on the word mother. It's only a natural inclination that Jesus would say, who are my mother and my brothers? Here's my mother and my brothers. He's, he's saying this is my family. He's not saying like, like you know, all, all, of his, uh, all of his disciples are, are his brothers, but then, you know, Peter's kind of a whiny brat, so therefore he's the mom. No, he's not, he's not saying that. He's not pushing it that, that, that far. He's... <laughs> He's, he's, he's just saying, this is my family. So, so look, at what, look at what's promised in verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you do the Lord's will? Also, just to put in a sub-point, in the first century it was common that only men could be disciples. So if you wanted, if you wanted to, uh, to really follow a teacher well, you, you had to be male. If you were female, you're out of luck. Go home, have kids. Uh, but Jesus is actually shattering that aspect of his culture by saying, Here, uh, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. He's, he's inviting women into, in, into working alongside him into serving him. And in fact, women were the primary means of Jesus having funding. Uh, we read that in the Gospel of Luke. So how blessed is it to look at Christ and say, you are my elder brother. 
You're my older brother. To know that you are in the family of God. Probably sounds weird. I'm the brother of Jesus. Or it sounds uh, self-righteous. But that's what he's saying. Saying, whoever does the will of my father is my brother, my sister, my mother. That's how focused Jesus is on growing his spiritual family. That was his mission. That, that was his purpose. His whole time on earth was to make, his purpose was to make disciples. To, to like those he's stretching his arms out to. This is, this is what Jesus was about. That's what his whole ministry was for. To, to usher in this new, this new kingdom, this new covenant. He was singularly focused on doing as his father commanded. And his role was to prove his messiahship through miraculous works and teaching, culminating, by the way, in exactly what his mom probably would have said is going to happen. If you don't be quiet, you're going to get in big trouble with the Pharisees. And he did, so much so that he was crucified. He was buried. And, then, and he was resurrected, conquering the inevitable effect of sin, which is death. That was Jesus' mission. Make disciples and to die for their sins. Now, in our day, we're, we're empowered to join with our Lord on that same mission. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations. Gosh, that sounds like a Bible verse, doesn't it? Man, almost like it's from Matthew 28. It is, by the way. But we're supposed to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be growing Jesus' spiritual family. We're supposed to be growing our own family. That's what the church is. The church universal is one big kind of dysfunctional family. You can just scratch kind of from that. Anyway, but, <laughs> but, but that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be making brothers and sisters. We're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be out proclaiming the good news. If you're doing as you know what the Lord has for you, you're God's disciple. You're the Lord's disciple, his younger sibling, his family. Instead of being like his mother and brothers in Matthew chapter 12, you're actually invited into the group. You're allowed to sit in his teachings, to read his word, to, to get his warm gaze of, of approval. Imagine how good it would feel to be in that room and Jesus is like, this is my mother and my brothers, right? And, and you're like, wow, I am, I am my own disciples' family or my, my, own, my, my own teacher's family. That's what we are. If we are following God's will, you are the family of Christ. That's the name of this sermon, the family of Christ. If you are doing God's will, you are his family. What a wonder that is. But if you're standing in the way of his great commission, if you're standing in the way of what God has told his disciples to do, of making disciples, then you are being rebuked in this passage. You're the one who's on the outside of the conversation, being left on the closed door. The one who's being used as an example of, of, of treason against God. Therefore, do not stand in opposition to Christ. Do not go against that which God commands us to do to humbly repent of our sins, receive his forgiveness, given, given that bloody stamp of approval of his death on the cross. 
Blessed is the one who's not offended by me, Jesus says in Matthew eleven six, And that includes not being offended by his rebuke of his own family. So if you, if you realize that you are impeding God's mission, if you are somehow slowing down the process of the Great Commission through, through fighting, division, argumentation, being a, a tool, I don't know, I don't know, what, whatever, whatever would, would screw up somebody doing God's mission, if you're on the outside, then take this rebuke, repent of the sin, Realize that these words of Jesus are hard, but they're necessary. They're necessary for those of us who try to, to, to slow down the mission of Christ, even today. So how are we to remember and apply this text? Well, four things. We have to realize First, Jesus' own family stood to impede him from doing what God the Father had called him to do. It happens. Family gets in the way. Number two, Jesus considers those who do the will of God to be his own family. Number three, Jesus did not abandon his earthly family, nor does he condone it. And number four, we must join Christ in his mission of making disciples of all nations lest we be stuck on the outside of his mission and on the outside of his mercy. When we're doing what God has called us to do, we will face opposition. Because of sin's horrible existence in this world, we're going to face oppositions from, from those who we considered spiritual, from those who are successful business people in this world, or, I mean, I suppose you get rich being in government too, so perhaps from successful politicians. But we're also going to be facing opposition from our own family who thinks we're crazy. It's just going to happen. But we have to be convinced. We have to be in the word. We have to be, be, be subject to what God has called us to do. To join his mission. The phrase nowadays is to be on mission Unfortunately, the first time I heard that, I misheard it, and I thought, I thought that we were called to be omniscient, which means all-knowing, and I was like, I, I, I'm not, not on board with that. That's only God. But we're supposed to be on mission with Jesus. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be his allies. We're supposed to be, be not impeding the work. So let's not impede his work, friends, but pray that while the harvest is plentiful, that the, and the workers are few, that we might be able to be used to glean from the harvest, a ripe harvest for God to his glory. Let's pray, and we can sing our last song. Lord, it is an honor to be called your brother. I am your younger sibling, and I sit in humble submission to you and your call and, and, and your will. I pray that you would ensure that we are, as a church, uh, participating in your mission, not impeding your mission. That we would not oppose you, but we, we would ally with you. I pray also that we would be strong enough to, to, to do as you did, to not just, not just forsake our family, but rebuke our family where, it needs, where, where family needs to be rebuked, but also to care for them, to love them, to ensure their safety. God, as a father, it's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to balance 
work life, and my work life is the church, but it's, it's hard to balance work life and family life. But I ask, Lord, for, for myself and for all the parents in this room that you would, you would help us to both be on mission with you and also, also good shepherds of the family you've provided us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Whether the Lord is steering you to do an overseas missions trip in a dangerous place or to replant a church in a rural town in Oregon that everybody thinks is in Ohio, there was always going to be those who want to destroy the work of God. They will usually think they're doing either us or God a favor in standing in opposition to us, but remember that you are the Lord's family only if you're doing his will. Seek the Lord's will in his word, saints. Remember his calling, his mission for us, and join him in it. Go in peace.